Welcome to episode 4 of the Henry Cejudo Experiment. This episode begins in Colorado Springs, Colorado, just moments after Henry was suspended from the Olympic Training Center by his coach, Terry Brands. You're not half in. You're either with us or you're not. The words echoed in Henry's head as he left Terry's office. He's like, you're out of here for a month until you decide what is it that you want to do. For Henry, this was the worst imaginable punishment. Since he was nine years old, wrestling had been his life. It had taken him from the barrio in West Phoenix to the Olympic Training Center. But now, he was on his own for the next 30 days. Here's Team USA head coach, Kevin Jackson. Terry kicked him out the room, and that crushed Henry, because all Henry wanted to do was be in that wrestling room and train. But Terry's decision wasn't without controversy. People weren't happy with Terry at that time either. They like, hey man, he's a kid. Since Henry had practically grown up at the Olympic Training Center, most of the people who worked at USA Wrestling treated him like a son. And Terry's decision seemed overly harsh. But Coach Brands stuck to his guns. He's like, this is my resident program. You know what I mean? Like, fire me if you don't like what I've done. But I don't want to be responsible for somebody that says he wants to be the best in the world. And, and I'm giving them, you know, an outlet. USA Wrestling's executive director, Rich Bender, found himself in a tough spot. Would he back Henry or Coach Brands? I swear he was told to fire me. I swear he was. This is Terry Brands. And we had meetings about it. If they would have forced my hand and it was either you or him, it would have been him because I would have been gone. There was no way that he was coming back into that room. I would have moved to Alaska and dig ditches. I really would have. I, I didn't care. You're not, I'm not compromising my standard. In the end, Rich Bender sided with Coach Brands. Well, I, I think it was an example of tough love by Coach Brands. And, and ultimately, right, it was brilliant because it was a, a wake-up call for Henry. With Rich Bender's decision in place, Henry was officially banned from the Olympic Training Center. His brother Angel would be the only Cejudo on complex for the next month. He was going crazy, wanting to get back in the room. He wasn't allowed at the train center. Did you think it was too harsh? No. I think, um, you know, Henry needed to be checked a little bit. Maybe he's winning the U.S. Open at a high school and taking silver at the Worlds and doing a lot of good things, but, you know, maybe the hype got to him. He needed somebody to check him. Henry's coach, Terry Brands. And I think he had to learn that all that stuff that people are telling him, you know, even if it's true, it's not good for me to hear that all the time. I still need to be prepared. I still need to get ready to go at the highest level. And that's what he learned. And man, dude, that was the worst month of my life. Like talking about like resurrecting what is lost. I think it almost even sparked the fire even more so. After two weeks of being suspended, Henry began sneaking into the OTC to watch practice. I was standing by the damn doors, like outside. It was a freaking, it was like a gel cell uh, little thing that you, you know, you can maybe catch half the mat. But I would go in there just to watch. 30 days after his meeting with Terry, Henry returned to the wrestling room at the OTC. And what was he like when he came back? He was very humble. He wasn't sure. Like he, when I say he wasn't sure, he knew he was coming back, I think. 
but he wasn't sure how I was going to be. Like, people think I'm a conditional guy, and I'm not. And if Henry Cejudo would have left the program, my love and, and respect for him would have been the same. The same. And he came back, and he was super humble, and he didn't miss a beat. During his first day back to practice, Henry told Terry, Terry, you know, if you're going to be, uh, you know, if you're going to be my general, I'm going to be your soldier. I think from that point on, like, it, really, uh, it really took everything to the next level. After that practice, Henry asked Terry, What can I do to make sure that I'm going to be the Olympic champion? I said, do something that nobody else is doing after every practice. And he developed this routine and he did it every day after practice. And it wasn't a go-through-the-motions thing. And that's the difference with Henry. He asked, I told him, and he implemented it. And he implemented it not the way that I would do it. He implemented it in a way that would make him the best pound-for-pound wrestler in the world. And that's how he operated from that point in time on. Here's Bryce Hossman, Henry's roommate. His diet got better. started focusing more on wrestling, on training. The girlfriend shit kind of got put on the back burner. There was a lot of shit that kind of got put on the back burner. And I remember one day he told me... Henry's surrogate father, Dave Hurtado. Remember he always talked about the balance? And I said, yeah. He goes, well, I don't think you need a balance in life. To be an Olympic champion, you have to be very selfish and self-centered. And that's where I need to go right now so I can be an Olympic champ. Later that week, Dave was driving with his daughter when they spotted Henry. So we're driving around, my daughter and I, and I see him running around the lake. I said, no, there's Henry. Just pull over to talk to him. We go, hey, Henry, Henry. And he just waves us off. I said, oh, he's, he's in lockdown mode. But he comes to me after and goes, hey, I didn't mean to blow you off there. I was just, uh, you know, I'm in the zone. I'm focusing. By the time Henry had rejoined the resident program, he had 22 months until the Beijing Olympics. And lucky for him, his coach Terry Brands had built the largest and most skilled wrestling team in Olympic Training Center history. That program and that team was, it was awesome. The USOC only gave us 12 beds and we had close to 25 guys on that team. One of those guys was Henry's roommate, Bryce Hosmer. Terry did something that was unique. He had a vision and it materialized. Which meant that Henry had a plethora of workout partners. People just started coming in. They just started flooding because they, man, because it's something that Terry brought to Olympic Training Center. It's just like, hey, man, this is this is a full commitment. Then you had Mona Wall, you had Sean Bunch, uh, Steve Marco, God, Kendall Cross. Like, people just started coming in. Terry didn't offer fame or money, but what he promised was a shot at the Olympic dream. So a lot of those guys were there chasing the dream and they were paying for it by themselves. And were they getting salaries? No. We were all as broke as you could possibly be. You're hearing from Kyle Sermonara, Henry's teammate. But back then, that was just part of it. You just had to struggle through it. And nobody questioned it. People had opportunities all over, but no one would take it. It meant so much to have like Terry Brands in the corner. That's and that's how everyone felt too. Of all the new names at the OTC, the one that caught the most headlines 
was Kendall Cross. Terry was absolutely my biggest nemesis competing. This is Kendall Cross, the man who beat Terry Brands at that legendary Olympic trial finals in 1996. Now, he was being coached by him. So I didn't know him as a coach, and I didn't know him and how he relates to other people. I got to see his passion for one, for the sport, but two, for his athlete. Any time of the day, the night, the morning, the middle, and I don't know, whatever, he was just there. And, and I saw it over and over again. What was abundantly clear to Kendall was just how close Terry and Henry were. And, and then, he, you know, he had Terry Brands telling him what to do. And that's a pretty good person to be telling you what to do. Henry just really, uh, he just glued himself to um, Terry's, well, his wisdom, you know, because he has it. Daniel Cormier. Like, dude, he was seriously constantly always following Terry because he knew that's where the knowledge came from. Terry and Henry were so close that sometimes you didn't hang out with Henry because you knew he would tell Terry whatever you guys were hanging out. He was like a little snitch. He was like a little 20-year-old snitch in Terry's pocket all the time. Even though Terry had suspended Henry just two months prior, by December of 2007, Henry and Terry were closer than ever. It was almost like Terry was one of his dads. This is Bryce Hosman. But it was easy for Terry and Henry to be very close because they had the same mentality. Terry freaking loves wrestling. He still loves wrestling. He loved wrestling then. He always wanted to win an Olympic gold medal. So he really wanted his athletes to win Olympic gold medals. As Henry and Terry got closer, Coach Brands opened up about his own past defeats. Terry would talk about him not becoming an Olympic gold medalist a lot, which which always hurt. And it hurt for me to hear it from him, you know, because when Terry would talk about it, you just could feel that pain. That pain was kind of vibrant and... I never wanted to live with that chip on my shoulder. Like, you know what I mean? It's almost like what's made Terry Brands a great coach, too, is the fact that it's that chip on his shoulder. You know what I mean? And I don't know if he'll ever leave. Two weeks after his return to the Olympic Training Center, Henry and the rest of the resident athletes were entering Terry's cross-training phase, a four-week period before the start of the international circuit in January. It was understood that certain times of the year it was about getting tough. That was Bryce Hosman. Here's Kyle Sermonera. Yeah, every day was extreme. Everything was like a competition, a test, you know, developing your like mental toughness. That was a huge thing. Like old school Iowa wrestling. That's what it was like, but for high level guys. In addition to the wrestlers two a days, Terry also had the guys running the cog incline almost every day in December. And it was Colorado in December at the top there's ice and snow like you're like crawling scratching into it all the way up to the top back down some days you do it at 5 a.m it would be dark still but we did it every day for a month a few days after Christmas as Terry's cross trading phase was winding down he had a cog run planned when a blizzard hit Colorado Springs whoever runs the Olympic training center said to Terry, like, they can't do this. It's not safe, not tradition. And he was like, I'll sign the papers right now. I'll quit right now. But the Olympic training center laid down a trump card and pulled Terry's wrestlers off of the cog trail. Henry and his brother, Angel, were there. And Brands is like, 
my hands are tied, guys. And these guys don't want us to work. We're going to stay here. We're going to make up for it because they don't want us to get better. I wish we would have went up the incline. <laughs> After being pulled from the incline, Terry put his guys through a brutal hour-long circuit. Man, that workout was so hard. I was so sore for a week. And I remember a couple of days in, we're wrestling and I remember somebody touching me. I'm like, oh, oh, stop, 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 stop. Hold on, I'm sore. So Terry, the very next day, he does the same damn workout. To see, maybe I'm an asshole. Maybe I don't know. Maybe it was so hard and, I, and he did the same workout. Nothing. He felt nothing. By January of 2007, Henry had survived Terry's cross-training phase and was just nine months away from the world championships. But to be ready for the best wrestlers on the planet, Henry needed international experience. So in early January that year, he set out on the international tour and would spend the next three months on the road. His first stop was Iran for the Takti Cup. Matt Azevedo, Henry's competitor from the U.S. Open, was also on that trip. That trip was a lot of fun just because, you know, how much they love wrestling and how we were treated there. You know, like I said, they really rolled it out the red carpet for us. Wrestlers are treated like national heroes in Iran. And the Takti Cup is one of the premier events of the season. This arena probably held three, 4,000 people. And every session when we showed up, it was already packed. They're already banging on the drums and getting the horns going. On a Friday morning in January, as most of his peers were beginning their second semester of college, Henry stepped on the mat for his first match of the Takti Cup. In the first round, Henry beat a wrestler from Turkmenistan, and then he took out two tough Iranians to advance all the way to the finals. The match in the finals was definitely, it had some fireworks, it had some big moves. Here's Henry. I'm rustling and dude, he got to my legs, and as soon as he got to my legs, the crowd started, Rah! and I'm just like, holy shit, man, you can just feel like the energy of the crowd and him being on my leg, I'm like, dude, I'm getting taken down, I could feel it. It was almost like the waves, almost like the crowd kind of helped him, and then boom, he ends up beating me, and that was, that was Iran. Henry's runner-up finish at the Takti Cup was his first medal at a big international tournament. The next morning, he flew directly to Russia, to the Siberian city of Kresnyars, for one of the toughest tournaments in the world, the Oregon Tournament. Some say it's even harder than the World Championships. The reason they say it's tougher than the World is because... You're hearing from Kevin Jackson. Russia's the best team in the world, consistently, and you're wrestling a Russian every match. And if that doesn't scare you off, the weather will. Because it's held in Siberia in the middle of January. Be so cold. The whole warm-up is in your parka. Then it's time to wrestle. You pull your parka off. Goosebumps jump on you because it's so cold. The first deep breath of air that you take burns your lungs. It's that cold. Named after the great Soviet champion, Ivanya Regan, the tournament's an early indicator as to who has a shot to win the world championships later in September. As Henry's tournament got started... He won his first match, and then in the second, he had an old rival, Basit Kudakov. I told him he had Kudakov. Terry Brands, Henry's coach. But it was in Russian. He goes, I, I don't, I don't. In the moments before the match, Terry noticed that Henry wasn't warming up with the same intensity 
as he normally did. But I didn't understand what he was doing. I, like, Henry, it doesn't, number one, it doesn't matter anyway. If you got the number 20 rushing, you still got to get ready to go the same way. And then when you know it's Kudakov, you really put that eh, extra into it, you know. And it was, it was just looking back on it, it was kind of a, one of them weird things. And that's part of the growing. That's part of the maturity piece to me. In front of an all-rushing crowd, Henry dropped two straight periods to Besik and failed to score so much as a takedown against the Russian. Bryce Hosman, Henry's roommate, remembers that loss. Because he had previously beat Kudakov and Kudakov beat him. If I'm not mistaken, fucked him up. Fucked him up. It, I mean, it wasn't like an accident. He whipped his ass. As Henry sat backstage, sulking his loss, he now faced a decision. Pack it in and default out of the tournament, like he had done at the Sunkiss Kids Open, or battle back through the consolation bracket where two more Russians awaited to try and find a spot on the podium. Here's Doc Bennett. Henry's coach. You know how it is. It's sometimes you're so focused on winning that you can't come back. I've seen champions that don't come back. But he came back and he came back hard. He came to get something. He, was gonna get, he wasn't going home with nothing. Two matches later, and for the second straight tournament, Henry found the podium by winning a bronze medal at one of the toughest tournaments in the world. It was a major stepping stone in his development. And now we're picking up pieces and we're going to go back home and we're going to get better every single day. And when we meet him in 07 World Championships, we're going to beat his ass. That's how you're thinking. After the Oregon, Henry wrestled at a tournament in Ukraine in February and then flew back to Russia in March for the World Cup, where he brought home a bronze medal. Here's Angel. So he did really well that year, doing everything right. Despite not winning a tournament, Henry was having one of the best seasons of his young international career. Training his butt off, listening to Terry, and then I did feel his his wrestling just progress, leaps and bounds. By April, Henry was back in the U.S. and ready to compete at the U.S. Open. And his biggest test would come against Nick Simmons in the U.S. Open Finals. After losing the first period, Henry won two straight to beat Simmons and repeat as U.S. Open champion. Two months later, Henry was in the finals of the U.S. World Team Trials against another old rival, Matt Azevedo. I come out, win the first period, take him down, turn him, and then second period, I'm winning 2-0. And there's about 25 seconds to go. I'm about to win the first match of the wrestle-off, and I shoot. And when I shoot it, my head kind of goes a little bit low between the legs, and he just grabs a body lock and flips me through for three. And that's how that period ends. After winning match one, Henry was one bout away from making his first world team. Back to Matt Azevedo. In that second match in the trials, he uh, he took that first period and then just, you know, he kind of never looked back. Twelve months after he lost in the finals to Sammy Henson, Henry had made his first world team and was headed to the world championships in Baku, Azerbaijan. At 20 years old, he was the youngest member of Team USA since 1979. Here's Daniel Cormier. Henry was a 20-year-old kid. Like, when I was a 20-year-old kid, I never could have imagined doing that. I remember the first time I made the world team, I, I sat in the back, and I just kept thinking to myself, like, this can't be real, right? And I was already 20, 
forms. And I sat there thinking, this can't be real, right? I'm representing the United States of America. Kid did it at 20. So I can only imagine the emotions he felt whenever he was done with that match. When Henry left the World Team Trials, he had two months until the World Championships. On the surface, everything seemed great in Henry's world. But deep down, he was missing someone. His dad. Henry was definitely interested in getting to know his father. You're hearing from Jesse Abarca, a family friend of the Cejudos. He had just this pent-up like rage when he'd be in competitions and he would see the kid that he's wrestling, his dad was there. He would have this rage inside of him like, my, my dad's not here. And he would like literally go out to the mat to embarrass these kids, you know, in front of their fathers. Because I think the last time that he had seen him, he was like a four-year-old kid. But now, in the spring of 2007, Henry wanted to meet his dad. I was curious to see what this guy was, you know, who this guy was. You know, who's the guy that has my, you know, my gene, my blood. Using his prize money from the U.S. Open, Henry planned a trip to Mexico City in search of his father. This was in April. I wanted the U.S. Open and I wanted to go to Mexico City. Henry went to his coach, Terry Brands, to talk about the trip. Because he was going to go see him, I thought, go see him. And then his family was like, no, you know, you know how families can be. Why did you not end up taking that trip? My family convinced me to not go. My older brother, my sister, like, why are you going to go down there? He's probably going to try to kidnap you. Like, you know, <laughs> like that. And uh, they just convinced me not to, you know. I respect my brothers and sisters. After his trip was canceled, Henry returned to the OTC and began training for the World Championships. But then on May 10th, 2007, his family received a phone call. Here's Jesse Abarca. When we heard the news, I think it was Mexican Mother's Day, actually, the, the day that he passed away. After years of battling addiction, Henry's dad's demons had finally got the best of him. When we found out the news that Henry's dad passed away, they actually didn't tell him. The family wanted him to stay focused on wrestling and not have these outside distractions. At the time, Henry was gearing up for the World Team Trials. And true to their word, Henry's family kept him out of the loop until after the World Team Trials. Which brings us to a Monday in June. Henry's at the Olympic Training Center, walking into practice, when Doc Bennett pulls him into the hallway. I remember being at practice freaking bawling. I cried. I was crying. Then I started practicing. I think people saw that it was different. You know, Terry just pulled me out. I was like, no, let's not train stud. It sucked, man. You, you never think you cry for somebody that you really don't know. You know, I got memories of my dad, but I really didn't know him. But I remember that stuff just hitting, hitting hard, hitting, hitting home because just like, man, I've, I've always had that curiosity of getting a chance to meet him one day. As Henry laid on the mat crying, his coach, Terry Brands, was patting him on the back. He was like, I should have done more. He goes, I listened to my freaking family, did not go see him, and I should have done more. I should have been bigger. That's when I really knew he was arriving. This kid gets it. He knows he's ready to win now. After leaving practice, Henry called his surrogate father, Dave Hurtado. 
He actually told me and said, you know, he just heard that his dad passed away. And, but there's so many of those moments that you just, I remember like my own kids, you know, you they're hurting and you just hold them and you just listen. Minutes later, Henry walked in the front door of his brother Angel's apartment. I think Henry took it harder than anybody else. And I remember Angel saying, you never even met the guy. You know, what's what are you struggling with here? But I think he just wanted to know who he was and where he came from. As Henry mourned his dad's passing, arrangements were made for Henry, his sister, and Angel to fly to Mexico City and visit Jorge's gravesite. And so then I fly down there, you know, get a chance to meet my uh, my aunt, and it's just a bunch of things. It was just cool to go to go to that side of the the world and you know get get a chance to see your your ancestry. When Henry was at his aunt's house, one of his dad's friends stopped by. And one of his like druggy friends, the guys that, that he used to do drugs with, I remember he went inside, and when he walked in the house, his like face just turned white. He's like, dude, I'm seeing, dude, George is not gone. Later that day, 15 years after he last saw Jorge, Henry was finally with his dad. Going to his little grave site, I mean, there's no grass. You know, I mean, like freaking dirt. You wouldn't even know that there's a, a, I didn't know if I had a tombstone. I mean, that was it. My sister started crying. I just cried that one time, and that was that was it. That was done. That's just the reality of life. A few days later, Henry was on a plane from Mexico City to Denver, and finally back at the Olympic Training Center. He was just weeks away from the 2007 World Championships. And I've never felt so prepared and so strong, like so mentally and physically, like, well. In late August, Henry and Team USA boarded a 23-hour flight for Baku, Azerbaijan. Henry's coach, Terry Brands. Now you're not even in Russia. At least in Russian, you can read it. You're on the Caspian Sea, and I mean... It's just, it's just another place that, you, that wasn't familiar. The World Championships are held during the three years in between the Olympics. I mean, it's the pinnacle of the sport. This is Bill Zadik, a 2006 world champion who was on that trip to Baku, Azerbaijan. It's, it's the Olympic Games in the non-Olympic year. Every athlete in the bracket is the national champion from their country. All the toughest people in the planet down to 10 spots. Who are those 10 people? Well, that's a pretty limited pool of folks. In wrestling, winning a world title is a lifetime's achievement. And for Henry to win gold, he'd need to win six matches against the best wrestlers in the world at 55 kilos. Here's Bill Zadek again. It's so competitive that you gotta be operating at a super high level to even be in that conversation, let alone to, to be within striking distance. After Henry and Team USA arrived in Azerbaijan, Henry was alone in his hotel room. He thought back to the first time he learned about the Worlds, when his youth coach Frank Sines gave him a video of the 1991 World Finals. And in that tape, it shows Zeke Jones wrestling Valentin Jordanov. And I remember as a fifth grade kid, when I saw this, I'm like, man, selfishly, I wanted to feel what Zeke Jones was feeling. Now in 2007, it was Henry's turn to win a world title. And after five days in Azerbaijan, Henry made weight and drew his first round opponent. 
Here's Angel again. I remember him drawing the Iranian first match. Henry at the time had a good record of beating Iranians. The next morning, Henry was in the tunnel moments before his first match. I felt so prepared, so good. Like I am ready to become a world champion. Like this, like there's nobody that's going to beat me in the world. Like sincerely, not just believing it, but like literally like feeling it. Shortly before 10 a.m. local time, wearing a Navy singlet, Henry walked onto the mat. I remember once I got on the mat, I even freaking scrammed. Like I even did like one of these. Like, ah! I remember like just kind of like, you know, pumping my, like, you know, juicing up like my body. Like, no, no, this is, this is mine. Henry's opponent was the tall and lengthy Tagi Dadashi. As the match began, Henry went on the attack. Here's Angel. And the Iranian just stood in front of him. Didn't move. Henry was doing all the movement. Henry was very aggressive. You know, our American wrestling style is on the open, move your feet, move your feet, create angles, move your feet. That's not wrestling. Because the wrestling starts when you make contact. And then the Iranian just under. The underhook is one of Iran's best positions. Move all you want, get close, We're gonna. I'm gonna underhook you. I'm going to put you in a position where you're not very comfortable and familiar with. The Iranian's underhook made Henry feel uncomfortable, and he was forced to shoot from space. And with 40 seconds left in the first period, Henry took a shot, but the Iranian countered to take a 1-0 lead. There was nothing Henry could do. He couldn't open up the Iranian, the Iranian just holding position, finishing on him. In the second period, the Iranian continued to control the tie-up, and at one point, had Henry on his back. Going out there, didn't even score that point, man. Ended up getting shut out, ended up getting tacked in the second period. In his first match at the World Championships, Henry failed to score so much as a point, and lost in two straight periods. That was such a heartache. You know, I felt like I did everything right, and nothing. Henry walked off the mat, past Terry and his brother Angel. One of the first things I remember was, I remember Kevin Jackson. First time I've really ever seen him kind of be really upset. Like, man, what are you doing? Here's KJ. So I remember that, and it happened so fast. You know, he was, he was a young guy on the scene. I really didn't know what he was capable of. I know he made our world team, but I didn't know if he was capable of winning a, a world championship, a world gold medal. I knew he had the skill level, but there was his first world championship at the senior level. Back to Angel. And it was frustrating for Kevin to see Henry, you know, lose first round. I think he was a little nervous. He didn't open up, and he just didn't compete uh, and give himself enough opportunities to score points. In the next round, the Iranian lost and eliminated Henry from the tournament, which meant that Henry would be going home from his first world championships without a win, and without scoring so much as a single point. Here's Daniel Cormier. He looked like a kid. Dude didn't score a point. Got beat up. One match and done. Go back home, kid. You're not ready. Henry's goal of becoming an Olympic champion now seemed like a distant pipe dream. But as Henry boarded the return flight back to Colorado, a glimmer of hope remained. The inspiration of me becoming an Olympic champion or, yeah, I was hurt. Like, it, it still never wavered. That wasn't the overall goal. The overall goal was two tournaments. I win the Olympic trials, and then I win the Olympic Games. Thanks for listening to Episode 4 of the Henry Cejudo Experiment. 
a six-part series on how a high school phenom became a test subject for USA Wrestling. If you love the show, we'd love to hear from you. Leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and subscribe to the show. We're available on every major listening platform. If you want to help support the podcast, check out our merch at store.wrestlingchangemylife.com. We have t-shirts, hoodies, and an exclusive poster from the Henry Cejudo Experiment. For more content, check out our YouTube page, Wrestling Changed My Life. The Henry Cejudo Experiment was written, edited, and directed by me, Ryan Warner. Writing and editing by Raleigh Peterkin. Production assistant, Dusty Kress. Business manager, Tanner Warner. Original score by Gary Lanelli. A special thank you to Chael Sonnen, Henry, and Angel Cejudo. We'll see you in episode 5 of the Henry Cejudo Experiment.